All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Way of the Truth Warrior. My name is David Whitehead. Very happy to be here. First show of the new year, 2022. We are still in the middle of the apocalypse, and I think it's just about to get heated up even more. I hope you all had a nice holiday, as nice as possible, considering the incredible time in which we live. Um, and just seeing everybody jumping into the chat. Hello, everybody. Welcome. You came to the right show today, that's for sure. I am very happy and honored to have a member of the Canadian military step forward and uh, speak the truth and speak his mind about what he's experienced during this pandemic, um, what he's facing right now uh, in terms of his job security due to refusal to bend the knee to forced pharmaceutical products. Um, and so I'm very excited to have him. I'm going to give people just another minute to jump in. And while we do that, I'll do a quick little rundown of what's been going on. Um, just a quick notice to anybody that may have missed it, go and check it out. Cultofthemedics.com. I've released chapter six back on December 21st and it's doing really well. So if you enjoy it, if you're resonating with this series, please help me share it out as far and wide as you can. Definitely have a lot more coming your way. The second half of the series, we got 12 chapters planned. I'm going to be working hard in this year to, to roll those out for you, to complete that, that series and give you as much information as I possibly can about these subjects, give you my take on it. It's doing really well. I'm really happy to see just on Rumble alone, the, the other chapters are between 40 to 60,000 views, which in, in my neck of the woods, that, that's pretty viral. So that's awesome. So I'm really happy about that. And thanks to all of you for your contributions, your comments, your support, for sharing that out and getting the word out. It means more than I can say. And um, I just really appreciate all of you. And, and thank you for being here as well. Quick shout out to my amazing sponsor as well for Cult of the Medics, Rise Attire. You can go to cultofthemedics.com right now. The link is posted right there. Uh, you can go and check out the shop. They got some fantastic apparel there to support the series. I think it's really, really cool stuff. And my other sponsor for Truth Warrior, big shout out. Let's star Vanguard, guys. Vanguard, the top of the pyramid. They own everything, Walmart, Target, Costco, Pfizer, the media. It's amazing. So we need to starve the beast. And uh, my solution for that, which is also a solution that really does help out this show and helps out many, many families in the U.S., in Canada, and other countries as well. Um, you can go check all that information out by switching your spending from these big box stores to family-run uh, businesses that do it right. They make all their own stuff. And you can check all of that out at either truthwarriorswitch.com or you can go right over to patriotswitch.com. And I have a page there. Just tell them that I sent you. All right. And with all that out of the way, I would like to introduce my guest. I'm very happy this is happening, by the way. I'm really honored this gentleman contacted to me. His name is James Top. He's a warrant officer. Um, and here's a little background about the gentleman. He was born in North York, Ontario. He grew up in the BC, in BC, in the coastal Fraser Valley regions. He joined the army in the mid nineties as an infantryman. Initially, he served in the princess Patricia Canadian light infantry and the Royal Canadian regiments and returned to the PPCLI as the parent regiment in 2016. He attained the rank of warrant officer in 2011. He finished with the regular army in 2019 and then transferred over to the reserves, namely the Prince of Wales' own regiment in Kingston, Ontario, and the Royal Westminster Regiment in Chilliwack. He's been involved in overseas missions, which include Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia, and Afghanistan. 
deployed and trained in the UK, US, Australia, Brazil, New Zealand, Norway, and the Canadian Arctic. So he is truly a warrior and he is here to tell his story. So I'm going to let him do just that. So without further ado, let me bring him on. There he is, Jim. Thank you so much, sir. I just want to say thank you for taking the time to contact me. And we've had a few conversations, uh, which I was very happy about. And for your courage in standing up right now, as I, must, I can imagine how difficult that must be with the kind of pressure that uh, people such as yourself must be facing with all these mandates. Uh, you're, you're in the process of losing your position, uh, not of your will, of course. This is something that uh, is being mandated on you. I've had many uh, service people from the police force. I've had paramedics. I've had doctors and people from every camp. And so I'm honored to have a member of the Canadian Forces uh, join me here to to join this fight for freedom in this country. So welcome, and I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you. It's uh, it's good to be here. I'd, I'd like to say at this point, too, thank you uh, for allowing me to appear on your platform to get this message out. Um, uh, I don't... <clears throat> It is a difficult position to be in. Um, I know that uh, there are other service members in, uh, in in the military and in the RCMP who are facing similar situations. Um, my situation, I think, is a little bit easier to deal with because, uh, like, I know a lot of those guys, um, and, and I know there's four individuals who have uh, put forward a, a uh, or started a legal proceeding. Um, I don't know how the that is going for them presently but if uh, they are watching this feel free to reach out to me um, i'm more than willing to lend you my support but these are these are um these are personnel who are still in the regular army so the full-time army and who have i believe been placed on leave without pay similar to the situation i'm in right now so uh, i'll just back up a little bit and, uh, we'll and actually, back. just right before you do, Jim, sorry, I just want to say really quickly to those men and women who are watching from the military, please also feel free to reach out to myself. Uh, there's many other podcasts and show hosts in Canada that are trying to help you get the message out that you want to share with Canadians. Um, and also just, Jim, a final uh, thank you for your service to this country. Uh, what an incredible history you have. And it's just so sad to see it torn down over something so insane as this. Could you, uh, I mean, pick up wherever you feel comfortable. We've got a list of notes to go through, but um, also maybe fill in a little bit about what was it that drove you to join the military, serve your country for as long as you did. Even after you could have left, you decided to stay in the reserves. Um, you even worked within the RCMP, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so maybe just a little bit filling in the details of your background and what motivated you to get involved in serving your country in that way. Um, <clears throat> well, as, as a young man, um, as you know, we're, we're influenced by what we see and hear on, on, on the, uh, in popular culture. Um, I would, you know, I, I would be, uh, not completely honest if I said that, you know, uh, that didn't affect my decision to, to join the army. Okay. I went into a recruiting office. Uh, at the time, um, I had moved to uh, back to Ontario. I was about 19 or 20 years old. I went into a recruiting office. I uh, didn't really know what to expect. I got told by the the, uh, the person um, doing the uh, doing the business, taking 
applications in, he asked me what, you know, what I wanted to do in the army. I said, I have no idea, you know, and uh, I had asked him what, you know, my potential um, job might be. And he said, well, what do you like to do? And he said, uh, you know, do you like to play with the guns or do you like to be out in the woods? And I said, yes, both. And he said, well, then I got the job for you. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that was where I wound up <clears throat> in the infantry. And, and uh, initially at, and at that young of an age, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that, you know, I had um, uh, you know, duty and, and, and all of these kind of high minded ideals and, and were not in the forefront of my mind at that particular point in time. Okay. I, I would join the army for the adventure and to experience things and, and to travel and, and do all the things that they advertise. Um, and, and here I am at this particular point in time in my life, looking back on things. Um, I have to say that this, this, <clears throat> this, uh, organization has given me pretty much everything in, in a lot of different ways. And that, uh, that has come to this is um, pretty disappointing. <clears throat> so I can imagine, yeah. Um, so with your background, so, so, you, so, you got in young, right? You got in what what age was yeah, it? Yeah, and so so just to expand on that, I, I did spend my entire adult life in in the uh, in the in the army in the Canadian okay. army, in the Canadian army. Within that, having said that, <clears throat> if if there's people who are not quite aware of what the army actually is. It consists of different branches. There's Air Force, Navy, and Army. They work together on occasion. Um, my particular branch was was the Army. I served as, uh, served as an infantryman in the infantry. And if you don't know anything about the infantry, we are the jack of all trades, so to speak. And that was one of the things that attracted me to it is that you get to experience a variety of different things and getting instead of getting pigeonholed into performing one specific task all the time. Right. So the thing about the infantry is that you are you are the boots on the ground. You're the, the, the rubber meets the road. You're the point of the spear. And, and, and the rest of the armed forces um, uh, are, are behind you in, in the completion of, of the mission, right? So this is, um, that's, that's what I did. And, and I have to be um, as honest and upfront as I can as well is that, you know, there's going to be people who, who may uh, know me or have met me in the past and within the armed forces. Um, and, and if they're watching, um, I'm, you know, I've, uh, I hope that you're well, and I hope that if you have the opportunity to reach out to me, say hi, and um, you know, this, this, this may come as a surprise to you that I have taken this position and, and, and have gotten to this point in time. Um, on that note, the, I, I remember uh, I, did, I did briefly, um, after my first engagement, my first contract was up, I got out for a period of about uh, a little less than a year until I realized that I was fully institutionalized and I wasn't going to be able to to make it in the in the civilian world. So I got back in the army, um, and and I remember during that time I had applied for a job, and 
I was asked what did what did I like most about being in the army? What did I remember the most? So we're having uh, I don't know if you can see we're having a bit of weather here. We might uh, have a power outage. Okay, well case, let's see. Uh, I've been we've been having a bit up here as well, so uh, we'll do what we absolutely can in this short time. Um, so yeah, f finish that thought, so and then the, let's the start people, jumping to these the, points. The, and I surprised myself because I never really considered myself like a, you know a people person, but what I had answered at this particular job interview was how much I liked uh, it was the people that I had met during the course of my career that had made it what it was. It wasn't just the experiences; it was the people that I worked with, and and. There are, you know, people who, who, who may or may not know me, um, or sorry, who, who know me, they would probably describe me as a, as a bit of a, a difficult cat to work with at times. But um, <clears throat> I definitely, even the people that looking back on things now and the, the people I did get along with and the people that I butted heads with, I still enjoyed working with them. And um, that is, that is, uh, one of the you know key takeaways from this military experiences is the, the the people that I've met and the experiences I've had with those people. So um, I don't want to I don't want to uh, bang away on that too much. Uh, I had a fairly extensive and long career, and I'm I'm grateful for what I was able to achieve and and the places I was able to go. On the at the end of the day, um, just just a uh, after I had um, got out of the regular army, I had finished a degree program and uh, I was able to get a degree in psychology through the University of Manitoba. Oh, so wow. this was, again, something that was um, I was able to do, you know, through the army. Um, so, you know, here we are. Uh, I have a... Um, achieved uh, quite a bit um but uh, on that too there was um you know there was times when i had uh would have liked to have done things differently um but that's not neither here nor there so um well here you are now jim you're 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 in this position you're getting you're putting yourself out there and you're standing up for what you believe in. And I think to anybody that's watching with a critical eye, you know, at the very least, they should give you credit for having the courage to stand up for what you believe in. And you and I have had a few conversations and we see eye to eye on a lot of things. And I'm really happy that you're here doing this because people, I think Canadians are sick and tired of just hearing from these pundits on television and these media personalities and these sort of paid for TV doctors and you can see the results. I mean, we just had the interview between Joe Rogan and Dr. Robert Malone that's going super, super viral. There's graphics out there showing the comparisons of the, the following that someone like Rogan has compared to literally everybody else in the mainstream media. And that interview is going viral along with the one he did with Dr. Peter McCullough. So there's no shortage of expert level uh, medical people that can shed some light on what uh, caused people like you and me to come to the place that we're at. So you're not alone at all, Jim, and you're not alone in this country. You're not alone on this planet in terms of uh, people that are questioning what's going on. I think there's more than enough reason to question it, but maybe you could give us some insight into your experience with how the pandemic unfolded back in 2020. I mean, you were in the reserves at the time. 
Were there any whisperings or rumblings of anything that you heard you want to share? Or where, where would be the best place to begin with your story with, with the pandemic? Yeah, exactly. So uh, funny uh, enough, and, and um, thanks for that. I appreciate the, um, the, uh, the morale boost. Um, but going back to where, how did I get here? This is one of the reasons why I'm here too, is to get the message out so that people who are not aware of what is happening to us, who have, uh, who are working in these positions, who have not, you know, have had made the decision we made, what the impact is on that. So, um, to go back to where we were in March of, uh, I got out of the reserves, uh, or sorry, I got out of the Red Force, joined the reserves. Uh, through a number of um, different administrative uh, channels, I was actually able to go back as a reservist to work at my Reg Force job, okay, um, because they were they needed me to work there. And at the time, I was working as a um, let's call it the captivity survival instructor, okay, and uh, it was a small office in Kingston, and uh, I was given the opportunity in. Um, in early February to go and train with the Australian Defence Forces, um, bringing Australian soldiers up to speed on various aspects of what you need to do to survive uh, if you've been captured by the enemy. So um, uh, probably one of the highlights of my my career, if not my life, going there, uh, where were we in Australia? We were on the Gold Coast in in the middle of February, near the end of February, where supposedly this, um, you know, this this illness was uh, circulating. Okay. Um, got back in the beginning of March, got told on March the 11th that now this is, uh, you know, been declared a pandemic. Um, there was a lot of confusion. Nobody really knew what was happening. I'm sure you saw it here that I was in Kington, Ontario at the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have always been somewhat of an armchair media observer slash critic, okay? There was a lot of things that didn't smell right right at the beginning of all of this. Um, we can get into that after, but I don't want to go into too much speculation right now. I just want to get us to where we need to be. Sure. Um, so there was not a lot of real questions being asked, there were just more reaction, which I think was part of the overall game plan, so to speak. Um, there was what I saw at multiple levels, and, and as somebody who has been in the in the army and has some somebody who transitioned to the reserves and then transitioned to another federal government agency, I'm no stranger to the way a bureaucracy works, okay? And I'm no stranger to the kind of mindset of various chains of command. So I have a commanding officer in that small unit in no way, shape or form is he going to disclose to me really or anybody that works for him, any of his doubts. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because he's in command. He has to follow exactly. a certain line, right? Yeah. And, and if he's told to follow an order, he's going to follow that order. That's his programming end of story. So it's not like, you know, you're going to have a discussion probably around the water cooler with some, some peers and coworkers, but your, your, your commanding officer is even, even as informal as where we were, he's not going to sit there talking about his doubts or anything like that 
um, to anybody in the chain of command because he doesn't want to undermine and he doesn't have the full picture. So having said that, there was not really any when when all of this really started to get to the point where um, we were told, OK, uh, we're shutting down for for two weeks. Um, at that point, I think like a lot of people, most people were like, OK, let's go home and we'll see this. This will be it. It will be, be two weeks. We got a few days off. Chill out. You know, um, <laughs> We all, we all remember 15 days to stop the yeah. spread. It was like some people were thinking, well, you know what? I don't mind kicking it at home with the kids and watching some Netflix or whatever for yeah, a couple exactly. weeks. You know, that was most and, people. And then, and then for us, um, that turned into – this is where I saw the spiral kind of get out of control was like, you know, once we were – like, I mean, this went from two weeks and then it lasted a month and then we were, you know, coming up with tele – telework plans and, and, you know, meetings by iPhone and, and, you know, work on our little individual projects at home, which uh, for somebody like me, I don't do well working at home. I need to go somewhere and, and do something right. Like I just, it's not, you're an off the ground, hands-on kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so that really wasn't uh, something that worked out well for me. Um, but then when we did go back to the office, this is where the, um, th this is really where things really started to smell bad. Okay. So this kind of like, um, I, I remember the Sergeant major running the unit at the time he had to, with uh, coordination with our, with our health people come up with this, you know, scheme about how we were going to able, going to be able to let pa people back to work safely. So we had these, this absurd series of gates and, and arrows and, and, and signs where, you know, little stations within the building to disinfect and follow arrows and one-way corridors. And it was just, this is where I really started to see the, the outbreak of this kind of, this, this like, I mean, I, this is called a mitigation measure um, mm. for something that, what I understood it to be was um, um, uh, like a, an airborne virus that was was you know sub microscopic. Okay, and we can right. get into what people think a virus is or what it isn't, but at, you know, for me, at a common sense level, it didn't seem like putting a piece of plexiglass between me and another person was going to prevent anybody from getting ill from something that was, you know, floating in the air and otherwise unidentifiable. So right. this is, this is where I just saw like the institutionally speaking, this, this, all of this was embraced. Okay. So we had mask mandates within the DND, you know, pretty much, I would say mid April, early May of 2020, everybody was running around with their masks on. But when they got to their cubicles, you could take your mask off. So again, it was one of these kinds. It's of like the restaurant rule. COVID only yeah, strikes I mean, at five feet or above because then you walk in, you got to wear it. But when you sit down, no worries. We can all laugh and drink and talk and pass things back and forth. No big deal. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't like, you know, these guys were going, you know, we some some of us had separate offices. Some guys just had, you know, open cubicles. It wasn't, you know, this wasn't like a spare or a, sorry, an airtight chamber. And right. um as as well, what's what's what stank 
to me, uh, to anybody who's been in the armed forces for any period of time, you would have done something called CBRN training, okay? And that is the chemical, biological, radiological um, um, responses uh, and what you need to do, like if you are sent into an operational area where these hazards are present. There's, a, there's an entire ensemble that you have to wear, never mind just um, a mask. So I, I knew from the training and the education that we had got on, you know, uh, neurological agents, uh, one droplet gets on your, you're on your skin and you're finished. So it didn't make any sense to me that, um, you know, you were going to go into a building, uh, put a mask on, uh, touch the mask, take it off, put it on again, sit down. And meanwhile, supposedly this, this deadly virus is just swirling in the air all, all around us, right? Like, if, if it was that bad, then we would have had to wear entire suits that enclose our, our bodies as well as our faces and, and respirators and the, the whole nine yards. So I'm this, glad you said that, actually. That makes sense. So you're saying there's like, even in the basic training, you have to go through basic countermeasures for biological weapons and, and agents, right? And then absolutely. it was I mean, similar to people I spoke to where someone told me, he's like, well, if you speak to a virologist who works with say influenza viruses or any of these back, these agents, whatever they are in, in labs, they wear a full body insulated suit with their own oxygen supply. Yet they're just telling you wear a piece of cloth and they don't know the t-shirt wrapped around your face versus surgical masks versus N95s. I even spoke to guys that invented masks. They, they made masks and they work. I spoke to plumbers who are in there or uh, drywallers. <laughs> And they're sitting there showing me, look, I'm wearing the most advanced mask you can possibly wear. And look at my face after I take it off when I'm working with drywall. And what's the micron size of drywall versus this, whatever this thing is, right? Yeah. And, and so that was my first, um, you know, like it just increasingly, you know, within the first month of like, I mean, I'll be honest, I was suspicious of everything that we were being told mainly because um, I, I think I told you this before, my, my default mechanism is, is to disbelieve most of what I see and hear on, on the television news, unless, you know, Good I mean, you. I don't want to make it sound like I can bleed and, you know, like uh, um, I'm not irrational about it. I just, I just am skeptical about what I see. Okay. So, Right. Especially when it's this day and age of, of quote unquote fake news. Okay. So um, this all became um, like I, I, I was really dismayed by what I saw too with regards to the way that um, People were now afraid of each other in a way that I had never seen or experienced before. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in Ontario, they were fairly hard hit in the residential <clears throat> nursing homes, long-term care facilities. And, and the way, you know, people were, I mean, um, so for example, uh, I'm, I'm, I like to stay fit. We get out and go go for a run, and then you know have to run past somebody on a sidewalk. Have uh, to to see them, their reaction to me running towards them on the sidewalk was um, more often than not. I would see them 
step into oncoming traffic. So I, we would just, you know, not 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 to say that they were jumping in front of cars or anything, but because they were so petrified of having to pass me on the sidewalk, nice. they would rather take their chances on the road. And I saw this multiple times. And I mean, I actually got several times where I I had been, you know, waved off, so to speak, like people like trying to tell me that, you know, I, I have to, go. <laughs> I don't know really what, it was just it was just astonishing to me to see this and and the fact that i have used the word astonished so much in the last two years yes uh, i just so all of this was like it, it weighed heavily on me um and and uh the other thing that jumped out at me right away and i think uh, i don't know if you were able to look at that presentation i sent you but because I was working where I was working and because I was still in the process of my degree program, um, one of the psychology, things that we were, right? That's that, the one that's you're talking right. about. Yeah. We, were, we were studying um, interrogation techniques used by, um, used against allied prisoners of war in the, in the Korean War. And a lot of things jumped out at me that were that were parallel to what was being that what was happening to us as a society. Okay, so for example, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna choose my words carefully here because I sure some of the material it's it's not you know it's it's not any kind of uh, top secret information, but there's aspects of it that like the the unit that I work for that probably. I'm not going to go into it too, in too much detail, but um, one of the things that happens to you when you get captured uh, is your, the, the initial shock of what we call the shock of capture. And that okay. is when you were the most vulnerable because you have no idea what is going on. And this drew up, this was the same type of, in an expanded kind of way, this is what we were experiencing as a society was this first shock right? Nobody knows what's going on. It's mass confusion. And when that happens, you're vulnerable and you, you, you are less likely to be aware of the various ploys being used against you. And the point of this is that if you are a prisoner of war, at some point in time, somebody is going to be interrogating you and asking you questions to see what information you have or how you can be used, or in other words, exploited, right? This is what we are doing. We're trying to prevent people when they are taken cap in, into captivity and regardless of whether they're prisoners of war, hostages or, or detained, okay? They need to recognize the factors that are being, um, that are in place and, and the tactics that are being used against them so that they can be exploited in, either um, to give up information or to be used as a as a propaganda object okay okay so this is what i saw a number of different parallels like so that that presentation that i sent to you and there, there's something called uh, bitterman's chart of coercion which i'm not the first person or the only person to see these parallels multiple people have seen it but right. you have isolation is at the top of the list Right. Interesting. Like that's the Why, top of the list that is done 
for the purposes of it's psychological warfare first and foremost, right? It's a form of just keeping you in that sort of stunned state so that you're more manipulative. You're more easily manipulated, I guess. That, exactly. And and then and then when you're isolated, what don't you have? You, you don't have people around right. you to to support you. And even if you're isolated, like, and I mean, sure, there was people who had their isolated with their family units, but that's still there's the stress of like, now you have, um, it's just, it's just, uh, you know, think of the impact this is going to have on people who are very social. Like, I mean, this is this is a withdrawal of supports for them, right? Like, I mean, you you know, you and happen suddenly, have, just suddenly yeah. to be ripped from your community and and your family and friends like overnight. Yeah. And then the other one that is on there, so I don't have the. I should have printed it off, but I don't have a printer. But I, if you, if you are able to um, post that, this is that presentation I gave you uh, was adapted from Bitterman's chart of coercion, and it was done by a lady named Joanna Sharp, and she works for anti-violence uh, group in the UK. And that was that was made in 2016, and that was something that they used to educate people who were in abusive relationships. Oh, right. Okay. This is and 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 the thing is, when you look at it and when you look at the history of the techniques that were used, okay, against these these um, specifically, I'm talking about um, what 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 I had studied, what we had studied is the the experience of these um, captured airmen in, in the Korean War of the of the 1950s and. Um, it, it's more than likely these are not any kind of tactics that were specifically written down by anyone. These just occur to people. Mm. Do you know what I mean? In the same way that a, that a, 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 like a, a, a baby knows that when it cries, it gets certain attention. There was probably a, a class of people out there who just knew that if I isolate somebody, if I, if I, if I take them away from their supports, if I randomly terrorize them, and then leave them alone for long periods of time. Um, they just knew that that would made another person more easily uh, um, mal. They're easier to manipulate, right? Like yeah, they're exactly. easier to 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 work with on a psychological level. So having having experienced all that, having studied it and having kind of seen it in action, one of the things that jumped out at me as well was something on the chart is called the enforcement of trivial demands. So mm. uh, I don't know about you, but there was uh, I, I <laughs> after looking into like what a virus is and the trivial demands that I what I suspected were more to do with conditioning than actual mitigation of risk um, because i think that now looking back on it we can see how um, you know mandatory masking has led uh, to the next step was the acceptance of mandatory vaccination right so there was there was a conditioning process there there was the enforcement of this well at the time we thought was something trivial but is being used as a conditioning device so this and they is reported also, on that. They started announcing that uh, while the media was announcing this or all the health officials were announcing the new normal. They kept referring to this as the new normal right at the beginning. And I'm like, wait a minute. How are you saying this is the new normal when you guys don't even know what we're dealing with yet? It's too early on. And when they started using that in the beginning, in my opinion, that's where I started to see 
this is a conditioning process. Like you're saying, they're conditioning people for a new type of societal interaction or lack thereof or change in policy with your relationship with your government. That was how I saw it. So you're, you're just saying you saw it in a similar way. Exactly. And, and, and the, the uniformity of the message across all different types of uh, media organization was something that didn't ring quite right with me as well. Right. And I don't know if anybody has, has experienced this or not, but um, where I saw it was if, if you were, if you were in a, a gym, uh, the kind of gym like that, you know, like Planet Fitness or, or Good Life or whatever. And typically they have, you know, banks and banks of TV screens. And you could see it in action, whether or not it was CNN, CTV, CBC, Global. Across the board, there was no, there was no questioning. Like, I mean, real questioning. I mean, at the time I remember there was like this mock outrage over the lack of PP&E. But nobody was asking real questions, right? Like, right, right. so what? Like, so these people who are getting sick, like, what are they actually sick from? Like, I mean, all we ever saw was, you know, cut scenes from Italy and yeah. China, you know, and and there was things that we were being shown that didn't match the experience on the ground. For 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 me, anyway. And I can um, confirm that I had a, a paramedic. Uh, she was thirty five years veteran paramedic from Alberta. I had her on my show. I recommend people check that out. And she tells the same story. She says, I'm the one who's the front front line. And we're out there supposedly going out to collect all the bodies. We're preparing for this big body count. We're going to have to go pick up. And it never came. And that like, that's stunning. Like why, why aren't they, they given the primetime news coverage to at least cover that angle, you know? Yeah. And, and it just goes on from there. And ultimately, um, there was there had been a number of factors leading to uh, me leaving that unit and uh, leaving Ontario um, in and around uh, July. I had made the decision that that's what I was going to do of uh, July of 2020 because I had been uh, pursuing another uh, a line of work. And that led me into uh, to apply to the uh, RCMP as a as a a public servant. OK, so. I would be going to work for the RCMP to manage a facility uh, down the road here in Chilliwack. So I live in Hope right now. The Pacific Regional Training Center is where I ended up uh, applying for a job okay. to manage the, uh, to help manage. I was one of the range managers at the shooting ranges at the Pacific Regional Training Center for the RCMP in Chilliwack. So it's a fairly large facility, uh, state of the art Um they have uh, two side-by-side -side indoor 50-meter shooting ranges um, rated for calibers from 9 to 50 cal, I believe, okay? So this is where, in the lower mainland, this is where all the RCMP officers go to, um, to qualify annually the, for their... Um, in, in order to be remain operational, right? So every every year they have to go there and qualify on their pistols, and if they're and if they're and if they're qualified to use the carbine, then they also do that. So I end up um, applying for, uh, got a fairly good feeling that I would get hired for it. I wanted to come back to BC, so in and around July 20, after all of this, um, put my house up for sale. 
um, I was still entitled to uh, a what's called a um, uh, I can't describe it, but it basically when you when you release from the military, you're entitled to one last move to your intended, intended place of residence call. Okay. And uh, so I was still entitled to that. I took advantage of it. I moved back here to uh, to Hope, and I, and I was still in the application process for this job with RCMP. When I left Ontario to come to BC last year, I got here around October. Oh, no, sorry. Well, it was like almost a year and a half ago. In October of 2020, I came here from Ontario. I felt like I had left uh, East Germany. That was the difference between the two provinces at that particular point in time. Right. right. Yeah. Because I remember Ontario. I have a lot of friends. I was there for many years myself and a lot of friends were messaging me and I saw the footage. Everybody heard it. Um, it was it was pretty intense. I think Ontario at that mm-hmm. time, Ontario and Quebec were like the most tightly locked down provinces at that point, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and I think a lot of it had to do with the the um, the carnage that we saw in the long term care facilities. But we could touch on that after. Yeah, that's another subject. But um, yeah, so I mean, I got here, no masks, no nothing. You know, it seemed like, you know, I was like, okay, a couple months later, we had adopted the same strategies and it became apparent that, you know, all of this was just, you know, it, this, this was this, a reaction to this, um, to what they were calling COVID is, is uh, spreading across you know, the world, the country in the world. And um, so then that happened. And then I, I spent, I, I was back and forth looking for a place to live and settle down. Eventually wound up starting working out for the RCMP. It was a long hiring process because of the fact that they have to do so much background checking and interviews and so forth and so on, because I was going to be working in a facility where uh, it's controlled access and I also have uh, uh, access to, I have to go there, open up the facility for the officers to come and do the training. So I wasn't really involved in any of the training except for one uh, one occasion. I was just there to manage the shooting ranges, right? <clears throat> open the doors for them in the mornings if they needed it. Uh, I would have access to, to, to weapons and ammunition. So there's a fairly extensive security um, um, procedure that had to be followed. No problem. Started there in March. And then um, where are we now? March 2021, we get to the announcements of the mandates. Uh, by the way, this is probably one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, you work at the range, yeah. The best job I ever had. Mm-hmm. I mean, the best job I ever had. The people I work with, outstanding, world-class firearms instructors, um, a great a great bunch of people to work with um they announced the mandates near the end of august and i i at that time i, I pretty much knew i was going to be in trouble um so my journey from there was to to wait and then suffer through the uh the, the what they had put in place to um how do I put it to, to identify people, I guess, who are not going to, to comply. Right. Right. So right. Um, what has been put into place within the federal government is, is something called, and I don't know if anybody has brought it to your attention or not, but there is something called this attestation. 
Okay. So here is, um, um, this is what I have got, right? This was uh, basically a notice saying that <clears throat> all federal government employees have to go on this uh, Government of Canada website, uh, put in your particulars, and, and attest to your vaccination status. So if you did not, um, so consequences of non-compliance, I'll just skip right to it. So there's all of this, this verbiage, but basically for employees willing, unwilling to be fully vaccinated or to disclose their vaccination status as per Appendix A, the employer will implement the following measures. And so this, this was, our first deadline was October the 15th. And um, if, sorry, it was the end of October, October the 15th, it was our first deadline to attest that we had had our first dose. And then we had until the 15th of November to attest to whether or not we had any doses. And if by the 15th of November, you had remained, um, if you had not disclosed your vaccination status, or if you had um, disclosed that you were going to remain unvaccinated, then then you were going to be placed on leave without pay. So this and was that's not their way. That's their way, right, Jim, to say you fired. Like they're like you're not you're not complying, but they can't say that. They have to say, "Oh, we're placing you on leave without pay." That's how. And I've have a few friends of mine who work in the government here in BC, and exactly what you've described is is what they're also going through. Is this attestation process? You had a certain deadline. If you didn't comply, and there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there was no. Well, I know I'm not, but there was no, uh, there was nothing in there to talk about exemptions or even a process of exemption or any of okay, that. Okay, well, right? I'll, I'll I'll step in for a sec. There was okay, 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 and um, and 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 to to what they tried to do and what they well, what they did was it wasn't like it you know they were just going to go okay. Um, you're unvaccinated, you're on leave without pay, see you later. So there was a process. So you had these gateways. So you were um, unvaccinated uh, as of October 15th or 31st. I can't remember the exact date, but uh, then you're going to do a, a uh, education. So you're going to do a... <laughs> like a so, re-education, like in China, basically. So, you know, you were going to do an educational. Uh, and and I can tell you um, after having watched this, so I I don't know you had you had uh, Corporal Bur uh, Bulford on, that's right, who talked about his experience with this educational proceeding, right? Um, I heard him on a couple of occasions, and this uh, this product that we were told to watch was um, and with and with any of these 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 videos I've watched is either incredibly laden with with technical jargon that is indecipherable to anybody who speaks English or was so simple that uh, it would just, it didn't answer any of your questions. So that was the video that I got um, in a nutshell. I, and, you know, I can share this with you as well. It was probably up on the government of Canada website, but in a nutshell, do you, you are going to watch a video and they're going to call it a course. And in that video, they're going to tell you how safe the vaccines are the narrator is going to ask the question for you. Are the vaccines safe? And then it's going to cut to a doctor. And they're going to say, of course they are. 
And that's your course. Any questions, go get vaccinated. Wow. Right? So <laughs> I have some more questions um, that are a little bit more uh, in depth and detailed, but who's going to answer those? Um, so I watched, I, I watched their educational video, uh, I, you know, was qualified and, and became, um, you know, had that added to my personnel resume. Um, I still remained unvaccinated and on the 12th, I was told I was on leave without pay. With regards to exemptions, I was asked if I was going to apply for an exemption and I didn't, I, I don't think I was, I was, how do I put this? I don't need an exemption. Right. I just need them to hear me when I say I don't want to be injected with an experimental product with zero, and I mean zero long-term uh, studies. And yeah, no is enough, isn't need, it? Like in the law, it, you I, can I don't say need no. an exemption. Yeah. I, I don't need anybody like I don't need to go and look for an excuse not to take something that I don't want. So exactly. we can we can go we can discuss the philosophy or sorry the uh, the the pro and con argument of like you know it's for the greater good and so forth and so on. But at the end of the day, um, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But that that is where that is where I wound up on the 12th of November, there was a, a sort of weak, like I said, um, process in, in that where could I have been working right now if I had tried harder to get an exemption? Uh, possibly, I, I don't know. As I understand it, any doctor giving exemptions out is, is risking uh, losing their, their, their license to practice medicine in this country. Which I, I haven't heard is, of anybody that's successfully been able to do it. I have nothing but people emailing me from many different sectors trying to say, is there an exemption process? I haven't even seen one yet. Well, I don't think they're giving them out. And, and the fact that you, you, can't, you cannot opt out of this is, again, I'll use this word, uh, is, is astonishing to me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, like, I'm without words for a lot of this stuff. So... Nominally, I'm, I'm still on their books as being an employee, okay? But I'm on leave without pay. Okay, so that happened. As you know, um, we had some flooding here, and uh, it, was, yep. <laughs> um, it was an interesting time, and it's interesting time to, to be alive. Um, this has probably been the best and the worst year of my life at the same time. Um, around the end of November, I uh, got an email from um, a captain <clears throat> at the reserve unit. Um, I won't mention his name. And he informed me at that time because, so never like the res my, my, my relationship with the reserves while I was uh, here in Chilliwack was, was, was a little bit minimal. I uh, had um, quite a few things going on. I, I purchased a home. I was moving. I was starting this new job. I had volunteered for a uh, local organization here in Hope. It's a search and rescue uh, volunteer organization. 
So I didn't have a lot of time to commit to them. And that was fine. That was one of the reasons why I went to the reserves. Okay. I didn't want, I still wanted to keep a foot in the door, so to speak, but I didn't, I didn't really want to do army stuff all the time anymore. But I was still a member of the reserves. I was still a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, and that, that worked for me. So <clears throat> he called me up to inform me, and I can, I can show you a copy of the email. But basically, it, there was a process of what we call remedial action or remedial measures, which is basically um, two recorded warnings and a counseling and probation period, and then a release from the Canadian Armed Forces under Article 5F, okay? A 5F release isn't the worst category, but it is, it is the type of release where you will not be allowed to go and reapply to the Canadian Armed Forces. Okay, and any other. How far away is it from like a dishonorable discharge? Like, what's in terms of? It 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 is a dishonorable discharge for all for all yeah. intents and purposes. It's a dishonorable. Okay, so basically, this is the kind of release we used to give guys. This is the three strikes you're out kind of process that we used to exercise against guys. These are guys that got in got into financial difficulty because they had gambling issues. Okay, they couldn't. They, they just couldn't get their head around what it meant to be in the military, okay? You gotta show up on time. You gotta have your uniform on straight, okay? You can't have like a drug addiction um, or, or it, so this isn't the kind of release where, okay, well, you um, were caught embezzling funds and then, you know, after your period in, in detention barracks, um, you're out. That's a different article. Okay, this is this the, the specific verbiage in this one is that you continue to display behavior not in accordance with. Uh, I can't remember the exact words of it, but it goes a lot. It goes something like that. Um, you're breaking the rules. You're not towing the line. So, well, you know. it's it, like I said. This was this was this was the, the, the you had to employ this type of system. Because what happens is you get a you get as a soldier, okay, and and um, I have a long uh, career, and I wasn't always uh, the bright, shining example of uh, of uh, soldiering that I am, or that I was. But um, there's a process that comes goes into place when you get in trouble with, when you're in the military, okay. Okay. And the first thing that happens is that you get a um, talking to from your supervisor. If that doesn't straighten you out, then it moves on to a more formal post process called the recorded warning, in which case your supervisor now confronts you with the behavior that got you in trouble. He tells you why you're in trouble, what you need to do to correct it. You sign this piece of paper acknowledging what was spoken about, and then that goes into your personnel file, which follows you everywhere, right? So that you go to a new unit, somebody opens up your personnel file, right on the conduct portion of your personnel file is this recorded warning. So this process you're talking about, that's just a standard process that they do to maintain the discipline there, but then they're applying this to any soldier that's opting out of an experimental pharmaceutical product now. 
So this is a disciplinary proceeding, okay? It's a, what they call remedial measures. They, you know, this is the, the abusive language goes on and on, but this is, this is how it goes down. So typically most guys will sort themselves out after they're first recorded, okay? Because in, to get a second recorded for the same offense or the same behavior leads you to the next step, which is called your counseling probation phase. So you have 14 days of counseling and probation, okay, in which case um, if you haven't corrected your behavior or changed your behavior, in my case, I did not go and get injected. So now this is where we're, we're, this is where I'm at right here right now, because on the 11th of December, I was called into New Westminster, the headquarters of the, of the reserve unit. And that was where I signed my second recorded warning. So what is going to happen after 14 days after signing that, I will be placed on counseling. Sorry, I may have the dates mixed up. Um, I just, I'm not going to bother bringing up the email right now, regardless of whether it's seven or 14 days. Um, is that considered probation too? Like this time that you're in right now? Well, no, this is just, this is just the time frame that, they have in place. Okay. So seven days after the recorded warning, if you haven't <clears throat> corrected the behavior, then you're placed on counseling and probation. Hmm. Okay. So at this particular point in time, I will have by now been placed on counseling and probation. So there was a stand down for most units and there usually is at the, at the, during the holiday season, they will probably be back to work and this process will continue. And um, I just want to say as well, in my conversations on the 11th of December with uh, my officer in command at that particular point in time, they did open up the door for me to submit a voluntary release, which is, uh, which is Article 4C. Okay, so this is basically me resigning. And it's a much more favorable code. Uh, however, because I both of these are in play right now. So I have on the one hand, I had put in a memo for a voluntary release to kind of block off this 5F release that they're going to impose on me. Now, which one is going to get enacted for it? I don't know. This is And that this 5F, is, that's a that's a black mark on your entire career as someone who has served in the military yes. for the police. Yes. Wow. Yeah, you're damn wow. right it is. And um, so this, the, I, I'll, <clears throat> I see we're already coming up on an hour, but uh, the 11th of December, was on, I signed my second recorded warning. And the process after that, like I said, by now, they will have started, they will have placed me on counseling and probation. And I think that that window is 14 days. I'm curious so what I, the counseling will be. Like, what are they going to, they're going to bring you in a room and you know, show you a bunch of propaganda films from t Tony Fauci? Well, or like what <laughs> to be, to be, to, 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 honestly, uh, what I was supposed to have done, okay, was to go on to uh, Defense Learning Network. And this is a institutional kind of, um, um, skills and development system that they have in place within the DND world. Okay. So you can okay. go on D you can go on DLN learn, and you can learn all about um, um, 
Okay, section 32, for example, in, within within the realms of, of the Treasury Board and, and finance, uh, within the armed forces, for example, you may be in charge of buying um, or procuring items for the armed forces. You are not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to spend public money until you are qualified section 32, which basically brings you up to speed on various uh, treasury board policies when it comes to spending public funds. For example, okay, if I wanted to spend some, some so as, as in my previous life in the Red Force, I was in charge of certain specialty units and if they needed special equipment and I wanted to go out and buy it, I couldn't just go to the first store and plunk down uh, $5,000 on a D&D credit card. I had to go and source things. Like I had to go and compare different and, and come up with different quotes. So that is that is an example of what this thing is. And I'm getting off on a tangent, but... Well, no, because you bring up a point. Maybe we got to go and get Christia Freeland to go and take this course about making sure she's not just spending public money. But that's just another thing. Sorry, I cut you off. So, uh, but this is the, I would have had to go on the Defense Learning Network and take yet another uh, educational um, program on, on uh, the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Okay. Okay. I haven't done that because I can't access uh, DLN Learn from home or I haven't figured out how to, to do it. And I don't think it's going to make much of a difference anyway. Um, I'm here right now on a public platform to speak out about this. And, um, you know, taking, uh, watching another video, I heard, I heard Corporal Bolfer talk about his experience of watching one of these videos. They liken the vaccine to his, you know, personal protective equipment, like his flak vest. And I, I suspect that within the DND, they're going to do the same thing. You know, look at the vaccine like it's your helmet. And um, I, <laughs> that, that is logic that is, you know, I'm not the, the smartest person, but that's way too simplistic, okay? Number one, I can take a helmet off. I can't, I can't uninject something from me. And helmets so don't, don't even... give you like myocarditis or lifelong sterility, <laughs> as far as I know. And there's that. Okay, maybe some maybe some ha hockey hair, but you're not going to have uh, crippling uh, <laughs> injury. So there's that. Um, <clears throat> so I haven't taken that, and that that will that may or may not um, work against me at this particular point in time. I'm, I'm really beyond caring. Uh, where we're at right now is, like I said, um, I am probably in the process of getting that five F release. I'm not like I, I don't know. I'm hoping that. Like I said, I was able at the last minute to apply for a voluntary release, which is a 4C. And under a 4C, say I wanted to go and re-enroll in the reserves, like if, you know, sanity returns and I decided I wanted to go back into, you know, the armed forces, having a 4C release, I'm able to do that. Okay. Right. But not with the 5F. No. <clears throat> So this is this is where we're at. Um, so I'm just gonna just um, I'm gonna finish off with this one. I walked out of the armories, okay, and I, I signed this paper in front of uh, a math and warrant officer and a captain, and they both expressed to me how unfortunate it was and how unfair it was, and you know there was they said there was pushback and so forth and so on. And, you know, I appreciate them saying that it meant 
you know, it didn't really do a lot for me. I walked out of that uh, with what, what feeling did I have at that particular point in time? Um, not so much betrayal, but um, abandonment. Mm. Okay. Like how do you like where, and, and the, I just, I don't know where we are as a society where this is, is, is okay. Like, I just, I, I'm, I, I don't know what to do other than this is what I'm doing right now in order to tell people what's happening. It's not for, for this isn't just me getting put on leave without pay. This is me um, getting punished because I, because I'm what, because I'm endangering other people with what we know now is a vaccine that doesn't seem to work that great. Right. With, with a release. Uh, a five F like I went, um, <clears throat> so I was, I, I went, uh, uh, I, I have, I'm not going to say that, you know, the sacrifices that I made are not any worse. Like there was guys who have lost arms and legs and they they've lost their sanity um, I didn't, I didn't experience that kind of, uh, injury. Okay. But I did what they needed me to do. I went where they needed me to go. And here we are. So I, 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 I walked out, of, I walked around New Westminster for a couple of, for about an hour after that. And I was just looking around at all these people, um, in this city, they're terrified of each other that, and they're wearing masks outside now without yeah. being told to do so. I just, I just, I, I don't know what we are anymore as a society. And I'm just, I, I'm hoping that one of the reasons why I'm talking to you and the, the reason why I want to come out here and say what I need to say, because if you're not aware of what is happening at this level, then now that you are aware, is it making you like ask some, some questions, right? Right. What I find the most disturbing out of all of this is that I have, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm done with, you know, I'm not going to mince words here. I know that as, as somebody who's still for probably for a couple more weeks, anybody is still wearing, wearing a uniform or is entitled to wear it. We have um, the leader of this country has been quoted as saying in a French language publication, I don't know if you were aware of this or not. Yeah, I saw that, this. You know, these anti-vaxxers, as now anybody who, who, who questions the or refuses this, this, this injection is being labeled with, that they are now uh, being conflated with extremists, uh, misogynists, uh, racist, I believe. Yeah. And how much longer are we to be tolerated? Yeah, that's literally what he said. I confirmed that with some some of my French speaking friends as well to make sure, and that's what he said. And and the most that I have ever seen this person um, express any type of uh, what's the word I'm looking for energy 
was when he was jumping up and down on on stage during his his campaign trail talking about how unvaccinated people are are dangerous to <laughs> well i shouldn't even say we didn't even get we didn't even get a um we were just you know you, we're now just un, an unvaccinated mob we're not yeah. even afforded the, the the status of a person in a lot of isn't cases isn't that a sort of military tactic on a, in one sense or even just a mass psychological tactic um, where you create an us versus them mentality, 100%. right? Like it's a divisionary tactic that's used by historically, you can look at any dictator you want. hundred percent. And I don't want to sit here and, and like, <clears throat> though I know it's not in fashion now to make these comparisons to history, but I don't know, you know, for somebody to increase his popularity by ganging up on, um, you know, a segment of society that is unable to defend themselves. When has that ever worked out well? Yeah, exactly. For either of them, for anybody. So this is what I find disturbing, this this conflation. And, and despite the murmurs of optimism that I'm hearing in certain circles, um, I think we need to be on guard and be aware that if, if, if there is aspects of this coming apart, then we need to keep our, our eyes open and maintain situational awareness because that probably means that something else is going to hit us from another, from a flank. Right. That is just my, my, my instinct. And one of the other reasons why I wanted to kind of get out here and speak on this is because I hope that <clears throat> if you're listening to me right here, right now, um, um, where I am at is that uh, I don't have a job. Um, I'm going to have to sell. I'm making plans to sell my house. Um, I'm going to move because I do. Uh, uh, I did uh, forget to mention because of the fact the time in I do collect a, an army pension. It's not. It's not enough to live on. Not. Not in this province. Not. Not a chance. So. Um, you know, working working now in a, in the capacity that I was, uh, the job prospects are not out there. I, I'm not able to go back to work for a provincial or federal government, right? I can't. I Such a my, shame. my 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 skills in in retail. I don't really. I'm not. Um, I've never worked in a store. I don't know how to use a cash register. Okay, I have. Um, there's there's nothing. I shouldn't say that. There's something out there. I just don't know what it is yet. But I'm. But you're, I'm being, at the point you're being left out to dry, Joe. You're being Jim. You're being left out to dry. Um, you've spent your life in the military, in service to the country, and in service of your career that you've you've put everything into. And for them to just say you can't work here anymore because of this new mandate, and now you're just you. You just move, you buy a house. Now you got to sell it. You don't know what's going to happen with your job like so many people. And you also have that extra challenge of having to just re reintegrate into sort of normal society, which isn't that normal right now anyways. And yeah. you to find an employer uh, that will that will not do the same thing to you right now is, is very difficult. Although there are, I did post some links from some good friends of websites that are coming together all over Canada of employers that are putting their business on and saying, look, we will hire um, people who decided not to get this experimental shot. Um, but, but it's just, it's to me, as you're telling this story, rather like it, 
it kills me because to me, this is a betrayal. This is a betrayal. You know, I'm a taxpaying Canadian citizen. I'm hoping in an ideological, even though I know how the system works, in an ideological way, I would hope that my tax dollars would go to uh, pay people such as yourself to defend this country from enemies, foreign and domestic, or to, to go into good things. But to see that this is how this government is treating people like you, who, in my opinion, aren't breaking any laws. It's them who are breaking the laws, the highest law of this land, which is our constitution, no matter what they try to weasel out and tell you. Um, that's, that's betrayal of both the citizens and the men and women in the police, in the mil in the military, in the medical profession, the public servants. Uh, there are many that email me anonymously that they don't want to come on and, and take the step that you have, but they tell me behind the scenes, there are thousands of people being laid off like this. And here we are with the hospital situation where Doug Ford comes out today and he's giving you the same song and dance. They got their little V formation and the, the camera and they're, they're out there saying, oh, we just got to do another two weeks to stop the spread. It's like, where did we hear that before? And well, it's because we got to protect our hospital facilities that we just laid off thousands of workers from because they didn't want to take the jab. And what does that tell the average Canadian? That there are trained medical experts that were on the ground that you used to clap for at 7 p.m. every day that were in the front lines with this thing, whatever it is, and they decided not to take the jab. I know it's not everybody, but just that there's the amount that there was, what does that tell you? You know, so this is a betrayal of this country. This is a betrayal of, of justice in this land. And I hope that this interview will help you make the connections you need to help get you where you need to be. And, and, and now here you are, you're fighting the fight we're all fighting. You know, I don't think you left the military. You've just taken a, a different role in fighting for this country by sharing this. This is, our, this is our warfare right now. They're using the media to use propaganda. Then we're using our voice to, to counter that. Um, maybe in closing, and, and feel free, if you want to take more time, you let me know. But I wondered what your opinion was, being that you did a degree, you're working on a degree in psychology. We've just had this new... Uh, Dr. Robert Malone dropped the term mass formation psychosis, which was he got it from, um, I'm trying to remember his name, who was a psychologist professor from Europe. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm familiar. You're familiar. And, and when you hear that term, what do you think about that, given what we're seeing with this hysteria, with the double masking while you're alone in your car kind of thing? What do you think about that psychologically? Um, well, first of all, <clears throat> so I, I have attained a degree, like, but it's a, it's a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, so I don't want to sit here and, and wax like uh, I'm, I'm a professor or anything like that. Um, I have uh, like a, a surface level knowledge, but what I would say to him is, hey, thanks uh, for joining the party, but like I know he's got some good things to say and there's some things that um, I think that I disagree with. But if that if that wakes people up and gets them to open their eyes and look around, hey, whatever. Okay. But yeah, right. absolutely. And this is what I was referring to back when in in when I was still working at um, teaching survival captivity, okay, where this is the psychological aspects. The reason why we were looking into those those different factors and the reason why we went back to this this fellow named bitterman was because he was commissioned by the air force what they found was that prior to any other conflict um 
U.S. Air Force personnel were making confessions um, on film. Okay, false confessions. So they were they were gradually over the course of their over their time in captivity, they were subject to the various forms of you know physical and psychological abuse, and mostly psychological, to the point where. Um, they, they became susceptible and did what they were told and what the communists and what the North Koreans and the Chinese wanted uh, um, at that point in time was propaganda. So they have on film from the Korean War, airmen appearing on film, admitting to uh, atrocity, committing atrocities against the North Korean um, people. So this is a huge propaganda win. And this would happen more than one occasion. And to that point, they were so effective in what they did. There was a number of Chinese, uh, oh, sorry, there was a number of American airmen and a couple of allied ones as well, who elected after the, the cessation of hostilities in 1953, they elected to stay in North Korea. So that was how effective this psychological campaign was that a number and it was a handful okay so like probably about 10 or 12 but they the the americans wanted this study so they commissioned the psychologist and this is what after interviewing all these people these were the factors he identified and it's in that presentation i sent to you as well but anybody can look this up okay and there's a really good website out there it's called changing minds all one word dot org and it's all about the psychology of persuasion and it's all about the psychology of, of coercion, okay? And um, so, like, I mean, this was apparent to me right off the bat. Like I said, you have the enforcements of trivial demands. You have um, isolation. There's degradation, debilitation, right? What do those do? Those weaken your resolve. They, they weaken your psychological psychological ability to stand um, against or to resist exploitation, whether it's giving up information or being used as a propaganda device. So they this, did that stuff of, in the, the Stanford prison experiment and the Milgram experiment as well to induce the same thing. Well, those this is what they were studying. So we also have the ASH experiment. I don't know if you ever heard about oh, yeah. this. Yep. Solomon ASH experiment, right? So this is another thing that jumped out to me right away because this is one of the main, you know, as as an undergrad studying psychology, these are the things that you you are, you know, you look at as part of your learning experience. You know, if anybody's not familiar with the ASH experiment. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an exercise in, in forced conformity, right? Um, so all of this stuff jumped out at me right away. And I would say that the... So I, I want to avoid making any kind of speculations or, or, or theorizing sure. at this particular point in time. But the way this was done, if whether if it was done intentionally or unintentionally, um, it's working fantastically from from what i have seen the effects are the There's, same because the, the effect yeah. on human consciousness of the public is and, and more often than, yeah more often than not what i see is people are going along with these measures and these restrictions and they are just like well 
I don't believe in it, but I'm just doing it. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm. well, why are they doing it? Because everybody else is doing it. And that is, that is one of the other books I had mentioned to you before was, uh, was Philip Cialdini. Um, and it's all about the psychology of persuasion. So why are people right. convinced yeah. to do anything? Because the authority of the, of the speaker or the one bearing the message, whether or not they are attractive, and I'm not just talking about physically attractive, but do the things they say have an attraction to people? Mm. You know, all these things, like all of these marketing gimmicks can be seen throughout this thing, right? Like, I mean, yeah. was Bonnie Henry selected to do this because, you know, she has, uh, she's attractive to a certain segment of the population? And she's got that calm sort of hypnot hypnotic voice, you know? Um, but then again, I, I just, you know, I'll just back up from that a second, but the, this is when, when I heard multiple people talking about these things, it's pretty apparent to anybody who's even stuck their toe in the water. Um, you know, the, the psychology of interrogations, the psychology of persuasion, conformity, okay. The authoritarianism, Milgram and Stanford, the Stanford prison experiments were, were things that, <clears throat> After after World War II, they needed to find out there was a, there was a burning question about what, <laughs> the same thing we're going to be asking ourselves probably in about five or ten years. Yeah, if, no if, kidding. If we make it that far. I'm and asking why, it right now. I hope other people are too. But yeah, in terms of everybody asking it, yeah. But this is you know I I I'm I'm happy with being able to get um, my my story out there and anybody who has any questions like if they want to contact me like feel free. Um, I've reached out to a couple of different, you know, people and, and, and websites and podcasts and stuff. And I'm, and I'm glad I was able to get on this one. And, and I just want to say that if you're watching this and this has made you think a little bit, then that, that I'm, I'm happy with that. But I don't know if, about you and, and tell me if this is a different experience for you, but I've heard more people. Okay, in the last two years, say, well, I'm not a doctor. I don't understand. Like, I'm not an expert. So I'll just, you know, whatever. Like, Defer I don't know. I don't expert. understand. Um, and and I and, and I'm and I just want to say to people, like, stop intellectually hamstringing yourself and start believing in your own ability to understand these complex things. Okay, um, I didn't know anything about vaccines or viruses prior to March of 2020. Okay. I've been in the military. I had gotten multiple inoculations and um, never, never batted an eye, never even blinked. And if I had known then what I know now, I maybe would have done a little bit, you know, maybe been a bit more discerning about what I was given. And if anybody was around in the early days of Afghanistan, we were given something called mefloquine. I don't want to go into it right now, mm -hmm. but that was another kind of uh, medical procedure that we were we had we had to undergo. A lot of guys never really fully understood it. We were just given a bunch of tablets and told they're supposed to help you protect you from malaria. Well, some some guys had some lasting effects from that. Regardless, um, this is what I want to get across. Like, you have the ability to figure this stuff out. 
I'm telling you right here, right now, if I can do it, anybody can pick up a textbook and look at what is a virus. Because it's, again, I'm going to say it again, astonished when I, you know, ask even members of, you know, my own family, why are we doing this? It's because of a virus. Well, what is a virus? Seriously, what they nobody they don't know the difference between a virus and a bacteria. And I didn't either up until March of 2020. But you can figure it out. And I suggest that you better do it sooner than later. Because I think we're, 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 we might be in trouble here. Scratch that. I think we are in trouble. Yeah. And if you don't start educating yourself, and if that, if that is your, like, I get it. It's, it's not easy. People don't have time. They have families. They have commitments. It's not easy to, you know, distract, um, um, to tear yourself away from from these things and and look into, you know, you know what is a virus? How does it infect people? So forth and so on. Um, I get it, but you got to try. You, like, and and this is the other thing I want to say. Like, do something. Do something. Don't just sit there, shrug your shoulders, tell yourself how uneducated you are and let yourself get washed over by what's coming down the road here. Because this is the other reason why I'm so dead set against it. Okay. Um, Not only, and I've heard this argument that, you know, the benefits outweigh the risks and, you know, it's, it's these people who don't want to accept the vaccine that are the source of these new variants and so forth and so on. And uh, number one, I'm not buying it. But if you're buying that, if you think that these injections are, if, if it's going to stop with this, we've already seen it, right? Um, if you think it's going to stop with injections and vaccine passports, um, I, I think you're you're delusional. It's going to be it's going to be more. There's going to be more injections. There's going to be more intrusions. And and if we get to the point where this is allowed to go on like the uh, an, an objection to taking an experimental substance that is still in trials until 2023 is now conflated with extremism where are we going from there so i can't ask questions about any government policy and i'm an extremist i can tell you what's going to happen it's going to be um how about this fourth medical intervention you're clearly insane Mm. and i think you're going to have to spend some time in the hospital and where have we seen that before yeah detainment centers quarantine facilities they're already setting them up they're starting with these western hotels they're putting money into investing into building these things they're building them in australia and austria we see it we see it. Anybody that can pull their head out of the mainstream media for five minutes, you can see this train of tyranny coming. And which is why, I, to your previous point about people that are maybe not liking the comparisons of history, whether you like it or not, doesn't really matter. It's something that we need to study as a fact that history is where we learn from. In my own personal life, there's history that I have, I'm sure you do too, that you learn from. Without that history, you wouldn't have been able to become who you are and the awareness that you have. So why are we so, why are we afraid to look at history? It's because we're afraid of the, of the truth. 
that history continues to repeat itself because we keep buying these lies and we keep going along with this and we don't do what you've just recommended, which I'm so glad you, you finished up with that, which is think for yourself. You, know, you trust your own mind, educate yourself. This is the time. I feel like I've practically gotten a PhD in this stuff the last two years because I just dove in full time. I'm sure you do too. Like I've studied this. I put more than my thousand hours in, that's for sure. And this is, people are looking at this all over the world. And if it was so cut and dry, all these arguments coming from the governments, why are they censoring top level scientists, doctors, epidemiologists, researchers, whistleblowers, insiders? Why are they doing that? that? That's not science. So if that doesn't raise an alarm bell, I really don't know what is. And if it doesn't raise an alarm bell, that they're literally going to cancel all of the rights and freedoms that our forefathers fought, died, and bled for with a sacrifice that we can't even imagine over a 99.x survivability rate virus using an experimental mRNA jab that's still in trials until 2023, like you said, and they're going to mandate it and then also block other known treatments, therapeutics, not even discussing what you can do as an individual to enhance your own innate immune system, which if we didn't have that, humanity wouldn't be here. So we have to look at this objectively. And I'm so glad you made these points. You, you just did a fantastic job. Is there any final closing remarks you'd like to leave us with, Jim? Um, no, again, once I, I want to give a, a couple of shout outs to, um, <clears throat> as, as we both have, like being looking into this and, and, and looking for alternative explanations and stuff. So Dr. Laura Braden is, um, has, has uh, started a, or she's part of a, a coalition of doctors taking back our freedoms.ca. Um, there is an individual, his name is Paul Westhaver. I heard him on uh, Atlantic Underground podcast. Oh, okay. W-E-S-T-H-A-V-E-R. And he has done a fantastic job of, of like, you know, scratching below the surface. And, and, you know, I never had time to go and, and launch Freedom of Information Act requests and stuff like that. These people have. Um and, and, and the others that we both are aware of, like, you know, Hawkinson, Nagas, uh, Hoff, um, there's, there's a blog called Viable Opposition, okay, Viable Opposition blog, they, this, this, I don't know the person who runs this, but he has some excellent information, and what you're going to find there is he puts together information from gov the government websites, doing the kind of research that anybody can do okay this is not hidden so go and look at the connections between various political political groups and politicians and, and lobbying firms and and put some put you know it's compelling there's compelling evidence there let me just put it that way uh there's yeah, another author yeah his name is julius uh Uchel, R U E C H E L. he has a blog and <clears throat> what he uh, what he has theorized is that we are entering into a sub because we know that there's a couple of actors looming large in the, in the background of all of this. He has he has said that this current model that we're moving into is a sub subscription based um, model of health. Okay, so in in the same way that we have now Office 365, it requires a yearly subscription. This is what it's going to take for you. Now you're going to require a subscription, so to speak, to be able to partake in in society. So 
anybody who is watching this and you want some more information, and I mean, this is not um, hyperbolic, uh, over-the-top, um, you know, theorizing, okay? This is this yeah. is real uh, uh, research and, and, and level-headed analysis. So that, that is all I want to say about that. And like I said, I want to leave everybody with this. Like, I think we've, we, we are being led away from trusting our own uh, gut instincts. Okay. I, I really do. And we have to go back to trusting our gut. Okay. Like, we have moved into, uh, as of March 11th, 2020, we live in the age of fear. This is the age of fear. Mm. And, and we're not going to get out of it unless, unless, you know, you start educating yourself against that. Because where there's fear, there's just going to be, there, there's, there's not going to be, um, Fear is the mind killer, right? Well, yeah, I, I, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. But hey, we're mm -hmm. all afraid. Yeah. But, you know, like we can't let it overcome us and overwhelm us and and and, and, and let us allow us, uh, let it be used to control us the way it's being used to. Well, and you've had the experience, I'm sure, in many situations in your life. Isn't that the definition of courage? Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is you're afraid, but you do the right thing anyways. You you stay strong in yourself. You find the strength in those times that you're afraid instead of letting the fear overwhelm you to the point where you can't think logically, you can't react. I mean, isn't that the whole point of, of military training is how to maintain your cognitive function and abilities while under duress, right? And, and maybe that's a page that people need to take right now you know and yeah. this is why i've been yeah. i call my show truth warrior and i bring on real warriors like like yourself and others that have been in real situations that can maybe bring that and so i really appreciate you uh bringing that point up yeah and and, and i and again i want to thank you for giving me this time and I, like like i said finally this is the only thing i want to say is like you know our health doesn't come from the needle i don't right. i don't know of any other time that anybody got good health from a needle so our health and our well-being comes from in here. Well, you did an amazing job. I, I, I got goosebumps, brother. That was fantastic. People in the chat are sending you lots of love. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time, choosing my platform. I hope you get on some big podcasts. I'm connected in with uh, some other shows and we can get you whatever platform you need. And we need to hear more from you. And I encourage any others from within the, the military or the police or the medical services to start speaking out. This is the time to speak out. I know it's scary. I know there's a lot on the line, but look, it's on the line anyways, isn't it? And what's the future for our children if we don't stand now, even though we're afraid. So find that courage and rest assured in the end, the truth is always going to win. So thank you so much, James, much respect. Stay in touch with me. Okay. Let us know how it goes. We can always do a follow-up down the road and thank you to everybody who joined us today. Please help me and help James share this interview as far and wide as possible. So thanks, James. Thanks, everyone. We'll sign off for now, and we'll catch thank everybody you. next time thank on you, Truth uh, Thank you, everyone, for watching. Absolutely. Have a good one.